you know, it's, it's all about perception in something too. So like at what point does commenting on something by using the vocab like vocabulary of it just further the stereotype or like mm -hmm. the set notion of what a thing is. You know, it's all about like the position you come from to view right. the thing. From Stockholm Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn, this is the LPV Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here's your host, Brian Formals. So we're here with Ralph Smith. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Yeah, you did Tom, another one of uh, Tom's early recommendations. We got to get Ralph on. Yeah, I'm kind of sneaking in all the Reporter Magazine alums from RIT. <laughs> yep. Tom, uh, Tom and I worked together on a school newspaper at RIT, and he once assigned me photo jobs. Oh, nice, nice. And we have another we have another uh, connection in common too, and that's. Uh, the land of 10,000 lakes. Oh, yes. The great state of Minnesota. The great state of Minnesota. This is, so this is our official. We had a false start with Ethan. Because he only lives in Minnesota. <laughs> he's, he's a transplant. He's a transplant. <laughs> so he's not yeah, he's not a native. But you are a, a, a full-blown native of Minnesota. So we born within the state lines. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many generations do you go back in Minnesota? Um, let's see. How many generations? My parents were both born there. Uh, I've my dad's parents weren't North Dakota and Iowa, and my mom's mother was born there, and I think her father may have been born in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So Midwest, Midwest, so, so third generation, third second generation. So you've got basically family in Iowa and North Dakota and Wisconsin, all uh, of the enemies in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, none in Wisconsin really. I have an uncle that moved there. Nobody in North Dakota. Well, there's a couple cousins in North Dakota, but. Most of the families in the Twin Cities. And what part of Minnesota? Uh, I grew up in Mendota Heights, which is yeah. right across the river from St. Paul. Okay, so, so you are a cities guy. You're yeah, in the cities, the suburbs, but not yeah. in city proper either. But it's one of those things where you can drive to downtown St. Paul in ten minutes, and downtown Minneapolis in mm -hmm. fifteen. So well, I'm from St. Cloud, so I'm from St. Cloud. So any, it, all <laughs> of the Twin Cities metropolitan area is just the cities. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it would be like an hour and fifteen minutes. And we, you know, you get into um, be like Maple. No, where would it go? Maple Grove would be kind of be the, the first suburb you get into coming in from Saint mm -hmm. Cloud. So we're, but Saint Cloud's kind of a quasi suburb as well, too. I mean, if you think of it in, in terms of a bigger, if it were a bigger, suburb. yeah, it's a it's a Minnesota metropolitan area yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, but I haven't been, I haven't lived there in since ten years. It's been ten years I've been gone. I haven't lived. I moved out of the Twin Cities in two thousand three, so twelve yeah, years. Wow! Yeah, so it was eighteen, right out of yeah, right out of high school. Moved to Rochester, New York. Went to college. That's where I met Tom here. Uh, was in Rochester for four years. Uh, graduated, moved up to Maine to work at the Maine Photo Workshops one summer, which was a pretty fantastic and insane experience. Uh, it was a great first out of college photo job. And yeah, it was a good summer. And then I uh, got whooping cough and was sick for like a month in northern Maine and uh, moved back to the Twin Cities for a couple months and moved to New York that spring. So, okay. so when, when let's, let's, let's go back a little bit. At what point did you start taking photographs? I mean, like, I think a lot of people were given a camera yeah. really early. So I, I think the first camera I was given was maybe five or six years old. But the first time I really got interested in photography as a thing, I was probably 14 or 14 or 15. And I had one of those little uh, APS 
compact cameras that you could shoot panoramas and whatever. And, and the quality was crap in hindsight, but it was the first time I really started shooting a ton. And uh, my grandparents took my cousin and I on like a family t- togetherness, uh, learn about the world trip to Europe for a couple of weeks when we were like 14 or 15, went to Greece and Spain and England and uh, France. And so, you know, Spent that whole time in, uh, playing young National Geographic. Like, oh, these are some ruins, and these are some, you know, and, yeah. oh, it's a panorama of a sunset. Yeah. This is really pretty. And, you know, not film those days. You didn't see anything until you came back. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get all the film back, and it's like, oh, wow, this is really exciting. <laughs> I was just there, and now I have a photo yeah. of the place yeah. that I just was. And I think that's when I really started to consider, like, maybe the power of photography mm-hmm. and how it's such a like, interesting thing and how it can also be a way to open doors to travel and see things you wouldn't normally see. So do you still have those photos? Yeah, they're in like a Rubbermaid box in my parents' nice. basement somewhere. Nice, like, nice. You know, you look through them and you're like, oh, God, APS sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, especially yeah. when you crop half of it out for panoramas. Uh-huh. But I think okay. I shot like a few disposable cameras in college, and I have some of those, and I went to Rome for – like three weeks out in college, and I have a bunch. That was like my first time. Like I'm going to your Rome. I got to take some disposable cameras. And I took a bunch, and like they're just terrible. I'm like, I really <laughs> want these photos to be better. You know, I was like, God. Yeah, but it's yeah, like yeah. it's like the paving the way to good photography right. is lots and lots and lots of bad <laughs> yeah. photography. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like not paying any attention to the edges. It's like the only thing you see is like in the center. It's like, oh, okay, but you didn't pay attention to anything else. You Same know? is true with music. Yeah. You've Got to yeah. play plenty of bad notes to play the good notes. Well, it's yeah. funny because I joke with. Um, I'm primarily a still life photographer. Mm-hmm. I also do some landscapes. And my wife is also a photographer, um, Shannon Taggart. And she does a lot of journalism and has mm-hmm. that history. And we both approach photography from such opposite ways. Mm-hmm. And she's always talking about the edges building in. Uh-huh. And because of still life and the need for like type or like considerations, I always think of photographs building from the center out mm-hmm. and always mm-hmm. making sure there's a lot of room on the sides or, or you know, so your crops or adjustments can change uh-huh. later. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. The, you, the different because I when I first tried to learn it was like yeah you got to pay attention to the corners pay like every inch and like that's your composition so I never would I mean it's a completely different like mindset um but kind of going going around around that like still life and photojournalism do you feel like they're that opposite though um still in photojournalism yes. I think they're totally opposite. Totally things. opposite, because I—I mean, a lot of times people like photograph photography is photography or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know about that. You know, it's like if you can take a good picture, you can take a good picture. But like, I couldn't take a good still life picture, right? I can go out in the world and I feel like I'm very confident. But you put me into a studio, and like Tom had to teach me how to use an off-camera flash. You know, we, so like there's it's those skill sets is like it doesn't translate. You know, we had we had a friend over for dinner last night who's an architectural photographer. Mm-hmm. And she was joking because, you know, a lot of architects want portraits as like part of their marketing material. And then you want the architectural photographs of the buildings. But if you hire an architectural photographer to photograph an architect, a lot of time it's a 17 millimeter lens (laughs) standing right against a white wall with on camera flash. Like a lot of those things don't always translate. Or you get so, you know, stuck in solving the problems you have to solve every day that the minute you go outside of that. Uh, wheelhouse, you're kind of like, what is this? How? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I think mean, that like the deeper you get into it, like the problems, you, 
they become more intricate too. Like even shooting what you, what I would say like a basic landscape, but there becomes a lot of different micro decisions you have to make. And I imagine like on the still life side, when you're dealing with like intricate lighting and like, you know, the angles and the, the seamless and the backdrop and all those things, it's like that ultimate control must really feel good. Cause like, oh, in the field, I don't have ultimate control. Mm -hmm. Tom doesn't have ultimate control, but you in the studio, yeah, there is off. no chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, is that, is like chance kind of like the enemy for you? Like you don't want to leave anything to chance? No, I mean, chance is, chance is fine, but it's so, I mean, anytime you shoot splashes or you mm -hmm. shoot like anything with intense motion, you're always hoping to get uh -huh. something interesting that you can't really control. Uh -huh. But I mean, through repetition, you can get what you need yeah. or you end up retouching some <laughs> chimera together looks good well it must it must definitely be looking good and it must be working well for you because you were pdn 30 this year uh last year, last year. 2014 wait, wait they know oh yeah yeah, yeah 2015 came out um and our good friend chris felber yeah he was uh he just got yeah. named for this year for 2015 mm -hmm. so nice and we just had andrew hetherington and he was probably 10 12 years ago mm -hmm. yeah well either way whenever it was it's a big honor yeah it's a it's a thing for so sure. how did did that how did that impact your uh, career uh it's a nice thing to tell people <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i don't know how much it's you know uh -huh. impacted it. it's a good spread and i think it's a you know meetings came out of it uh -huh. and talk with people it's like it's something people consider for sure. So you think maybe it carries a little bit less weight now in the digital age than maybe ten years ago when, like you could, you can go I, onto the internet today and find so many different new photographers just like yeah. very easily. Where there's not like, it is a big honor, but like you know, there, I think there's a lot of other ways to find new talent. You see what I'm saying? And like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you know, with the advent of digital and blogs and everything, like the gatekeepers are changing, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. importance of gatekeepers mm -hmm. is changing. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it's a nice thing to have, and it's, it's a thing. PDN, you know, they put out a nice magazine. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And a lot of people read it. So yeah, and a lot of people read it. And yeah. you know, I think it carries. You know, it's hard to tell. And also from a from like my end, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're selling your services. It's hard to tell. You know, what's the deciding factor for people mm -hmm. that's contacting you? Uh, but I, I got meetings out of it, and I met with people, and people definitely showed interest and met with some reps because of it. So. But you still, you still have to hustle. You're still in the hustle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, here's the thing. No, yeah. Nothing is going to stop you from having to hustle. Yeah. Like, you yeah. always have to continue doing the thing. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, and I mean, I like the people over there a lot. Uh -huh. So nice. what's your, like, tactic for, like, because you're in the commercial editorial world, and you, like, you know, I've seen you, you have a couple of big clients like Field and Stream and you were shot for like uh, Food Network magazine and you got all this nice stuff on your website. Like how, I mean, is that those come about like meeting after meeting or were these people reaching out to you and saying, hey, we're, this is, we've got this job and we think your style is going to be perfect for it? Yeah, I mean, those are all actually repeat. I mean, I usually mm -hmm. work for them every month, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. um, initially with Field and Stream, it was the very first promo I sent out. Uh, John Tulin, who's the photo director there, invited mm -hmm. me in, and we had a meeting. And and so marketing works sometimes. You know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know uh, I did this like trifold postcard mm -hmm. that I thought was really nice, and met with him. And then I shot with uh, Outdoor Life, which Bonnie Air also publishes for a couple of you know uh -huh. several issues, and then started shooting for Field and Stream probably a year and a half ago. And uh, real simple, real simple was my first national magazine client. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh, Food Network I shoot for almost every month mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of it is people I've known. I've assisted for five years for a still life photographer, and you meet a lot of people through that. Mm-hmm. The magazine and editorial world, you can probably sit all the people that hire photographers in a auditorium in yeah, New York City. Yeah. You know, it's really, there's like three or 400 people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think. You do your networking, you do your hustling and work hard and yeah. it starts to pay yeah, off. Yeah, but you know, it's people you work with every day mm-hmm. and there's, you know, you get to know people over time. So do you feel like your style is like, I know more on the fine arts side, it's kind of like there's the still new still life is called like the new formalism. Like that's kind of how it's been branded on the fine art side. And you definitely, I feel like you see it, you know, I don't know how, if it's bleeding over into editorial or it was the other way where it started with editorial and kind of bleeds over into fine art, you know, like sometimes those lines become yeah, very blurred, but it's definitely, a, you know, this, like the bright colored seamless backdrops and like, you know, the light and like on the, on the fine art side, it's like this people are, really kind of have this fondness for like getting that very slick kind of commercial look on it. Like, and it's, I think the feeling is, is like our lives are so dominated by that, by commercialism and consumerism that it's like trying to own the aesthetic a little bit and and, and not be so like dominated by it. But I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely kind of see like in your work, like, like a, a synthesis with like what's going on in the fine art side is that do you feel like there's a bigger trend going on in that or do you think it's kind of just well I think um, we kind of like I don't know we entered the age of still life four or five years ago mm-hmm. when like everything kind of the economy hit the skids and I think mainly it's like a way of selling or whatever the visual trend swung in that direction mm-hmm. from like the celebrity portrait I don't know if how it's playing out now and I don't know if I can comment a lot on the fine art things because mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar but yeah there is a trend of like garish color and like the super hard shadows mm-hmm. and and all those and you know I'm always wary of the like you know it's it's all about perception in something too so like mm-hmm. at what point does commenting on something by using the Verca- like vocabulary of it just further the stereotype or like mm-hmm. the set notion mm-hmm. of what a thing is mm-hmm. you know it's all about like the position you come from to view right. the th- yeah exactly I mean in the context they put it into I mean I, to me a lot of it is on the fine art side is a little bit hit and miss it's sometimes it feels a little bit too much like they're trying to make that commentary on like the commercial but like in the magazines I think you definitely kind of like see you know how it's you know how the trend plays out. And I think like, I don't know. I'm just wondering like, how do you, do you, do you ever feel like you have to try to subvert that? Or do you feel like that would play against your strengths? Like, how do you, I mean, do you feel like you're going to have like this style for now or how do you evolve your style? Yeah. Uh, I think you just evolve style from Tessie and you keep mm-hmm. making work and making things that are interesting for yourself. Um, you do a lot of test shoots. Yeah, I try to do a lot of test shoots. You know, there's, I don't know if everybody's like, but you know, it's, there's always more I could be doing that I feel <laughs> I could be, you know, it's yeah. like there's only so many hours in the day and uh, I have my lazy times. Yeah, but yeah. And you also have a kid. Yeah, yeah, I have a yeah, yeah, yeah. six month old, it's turning six months next. So that, that eats up some excellent father son time. <laughs> <laughs> so no complaints yeah, yeah, there, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it it does make you very aware of the passage of time and how time is really fleeting. It's like, how do you best spend your energies? You know, not just commercially, but like in life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it makes you consider 
all of the things. Right. <laughs> so you try to stay focused on the work rather than going out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. A lot of if you look through my website mm-hmm. of what's up now, a lot of it is kind of like really clean things in amorphous, nondescript spaces. Mm-hmm. So I use mm-hmm. a lot of colors to think of things. Some things are with shadows, some things are without. There will be a lot of color fades behind it. Mm-hmm. And lately I've been feeling I need to do more work, which is actually grounded in like some kind of environment or like okay. set space, which, you know, it's, it's I just feel like that's some work I want to make. Mm-hmm. But it, you know. So how do you go about that? You just start like, okay. You just make another you just, picture. You just and you're make like, another picture. But I mean, like you, so like, cause it's, you know, it's, it's very concept driven. So, I mean, do you have like a notepad of like, here's my idea for this uh, in, environment and here's what I'm going to shoot? Or is it kind of like more spontaneous? No, well, it's still a very little spontaneous. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, it's generally really considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's always like some ideas floating around and I have a notebook or like things I want to mm-hmm. do. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, who's available or who's interested in testing and doing something mm-hmm. and, and making some pictures. And I do have to say of like the tests I've done, I've gotten a lot of work from tests. Nice. You know, it's, you know, it happens too sometimes where you shoot something for a client and you'll get called for something else. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, oh, we saw this in Food Network or whatever, and we really liked it. And we'd like you to bid on this ad job um, or, you know, whatever it is. But a lot of times when I'll get hired by new clients, it's through photos that I did with somebody because we wanted to make this crazy photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do they find that, though? They just find it on your website? Yeah, through the website, website or through – I mean, I've only sent Instagram. out two promo cards before, so I'm trying to design another promo right now. But, yeah, it's mostly through website and mostly through – once you're in the rotation, there's only like a certain – you know. Right, right, right. I there's was, not a ton of people shooting still life for magazines. Uh-huh. Oh, there really? There isn't. It's like not. It's not a competitive. Oh no! It's it's <laughs> it, it's that, not at your level, right, Ralph? Yeah, right. No, no. It's yeah. it's it's right. competitive. It's always competitive. You know, yeah. it's it's always going to be competitive. And what's also happened, you know, across the board for everyone, not just photographers, but you know, I'll talk about photography mainly. Is like you know, if you go back ten or fifteen years, you have with the advent of digital and everybody having cameras, like all the bottom end work is gone. You know, you're going to have a friend shoot the thing, you know, birthday pictures or or whatever. And like a lot of the middle work is disappearing now, too, both because of like constraining budgets or businesses going under or, you know, massive layoffs. So a lot of that medium work, you know, there's not as much bread and butter work and the high end work. As long as people are paying for ad placement, there will always be high end work. Mm -hmm. But it's a question of, you know, how many people that can support and things. Mm-hmm. So when I say there's only a couple people, you know, still, you know, it's yeah. like a 10 or 20 people that mm-hmm. are in the rotation mm-hmm. that have been doing it for a lot longer than I have. Mm-hmm. Who's mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll look at 20, you know, if you if you were to get all the newsstands off for the month, mm-hmm. whatever, it's July now. Well, it's end of June, but July. Mm-hmm. You would look through and predominantly I would say 50% of the still life across all the magazines is probably shot by 10 people. <laughs> Right. You know, it's like there's a very small thing. And Uh the other thing is, you know, the budgets are high. Everybody's under, they're they're not high. I don't mean it like Uh that. But I mean, there's money on the line. You have stylists, you have studio rentals. Uh It takes a lot of money. And you want to hire somebody that, you know, is familiar and can get the job done. And you're not going to take a lot of risks. Well, no, it's not Uh risk. It's just like you need to make sure you have the thing you need at the end of the day. Uh 
like you're illustrating something for somebody. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bigger story thing and there's a bigger editorial background and all these things. So so do you normally, you have to go, do you go to them with the concept first? Like here's the concept I'm going to do. They, they, you know. No, rarely. I'm usually contacted because there's already a concept that's figured out mm-hmm. and they think I would match well with what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know people that will pitch things, but usually by the time I'm contacted, it's, you know, it's figured out which direction uh-huh. they want to uh-huh. go. What I like, I mean, I saw your American photo spread, and I was looking through it, and I was like, holy crap, there's my book. It's <laughs> 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 like, that's very beautiful. Like, so thanks for that. You know, it looks nice there. Yeah. But I also like on the American photo, you shot cameras as well, too. How well, that, that was a special thing, too. Yeah. Uh, they have stopped publishing a print the magazine. magazine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. Um, But that was a, a fun day. Um, because <laughs> Fun and stressful day because... It, <laughs> For something like that, they show up and they're like, these are the last two issues. Just don't do what we did then. And like, you can do whatever you want, uh-huh. which is both terrifying and like excellent. Cause the minute, you know, it's the first picture or two, once you have like a flow and what it's going to be, it's easy, but uh-huh. it's like making sure things look right for that first picture. And then going from there, you know, yeah, setting yeah. the, a lot of times it's easier to work within a structure than uh-huh. it is to figure out the structure. So how was it? Because you photographed the the drones and then the cameras as well too. What was it? What were you feeling? Well, like photographing other cameras, did it feel a little? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if incestuous is the word, <laughs> but like no, no, no. Yeah, it's totally. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's an yeah. object, and yeah. and I mean, how my what I do every day is you know you come in, you're given these objects, you don't have a say over what you're photographing, mm-hmm. and you have to look at the qualities and the weight and like the texture and the visual and all the photographs I do, I try to to make it so you can feel feel the weight and the texture mm. of an object through a photograph because you know it's it's a, the only communicating piece and mm-hmm. it's it's a very hard thing to translate some of those things into a two dimensional flat space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, cameras or whatever, it's totally fine. It's just cameras are difficult because you have all those lens, you know, you have glass reflecting, you have deep black objects, you know, that absorb light and don't necessarily reflect the best. And, mm-hmm. and you know, cameras, cosmetics, whatever you do, it, if you go back to, say, a photojournalist shooting still life or a still life photographer shooting portraits or like you know any of that crossover it's it's difficult i think for everybody because there's a set visual vocabulary mm-hmm. and it's especially noticeable in cosmetics like i've seen so many cosmetic ads from being small to growing up that the minute you deviate from that you know nice you know soft specular highlight that wraps the bottle and the really clean chrome and you know the minute you deviate from that it looks wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and yeah. a lot of people can't articulate why it looks wrong mm-hmm. or what about it's wrong or that the retouching isn't there because you know half of cosmetics is is making sure everything is perfect so cameras is hard too because you know you see so many camera ads you know night mm-hmm. you know, canon and nikon and everybody else spends so much on making these covetous objects mm-hmm. That that's kind of hard when you have four cameras hanging all from different manufacturers. It's like these should look good. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, for everything I want to do, I I want the things to look good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether that's commerce at, at entering editorial or whether it's just trying to show people, you know, highlight yeah. an object and actually be descriptive about it versus making a you know, a moody photograph that you can't see anything. Right, 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 right. And you always have the constraints of magazine printing too. Of like, mm-hmm. there's not much detail in the black, so you want everything to be kind of open and 
or at least I do. <laughs> yeah. So you also shoot uh, shoot landscapes as well too. So like, all, is that all kind of like driven on your like? What would you define as like your personal work? Is that like the landscape stuff? Is yeah, the landscapes, I would say, is the personal mm-hmm. work. Um, for those that haven't seen it, I do a, I had a series of false color landscapes I've been doing mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. 2012 mm-hmm. that all kind of focuses on wild spaces, I mean, nature photographs basically, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of psychedelic color hues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoyed the prints I've seen from that series. Yeah, and I mean, those, they really, those images really sing as prints, yeah. and they really should be very big prints. It, on the you know on a screen you can get a feel for them, but it's it's a very different viewing experience mm-hmm. seeing them in a screen or in a book than seeing them actually yeah yeah three feet four feet on the wall. And what are you shooting with for those? Uh, uh when I started I was shooting with a Canon and then I was shooting I have a Phase One studio camera. Oh nice! So I take yeah. that out and shoot. <laughs> been one or two uh, yeah. been in one or two rainstorms oh, with it no. that I probably shouldn't have been. Uh-oh. But I kind of take um. <laughs> Casey Neistat, the filmmaker, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he has a bunch of background. Um, there's two videos online of him, like behind the scenes of his studio, and he has this great shelf of dead cameras. And he said something that really rung true with me. It's like it's like these are just objects to make the pictures you need. Like <laughs> yeah. if you're worried about your camera in the rain, like mm-hmm. you're thinking about the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is easy as somebody that you know, I make my money with the pictures I take. Uh-huh. You know, if it was a hobby, I would have a different feel about it probably. But Yeah, and a phase one's not cheap. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're they are very expensive. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like jewel worthy. I mean, like I would go, I shoot medium format film. It's like, oh, if I could get one of those phase ones. No Kalina, who was on the show, shoots with the phase one uh, too. Yeah. And he's like, I'm never. This is why would I shoot with anything else? You know, yeah. I think my pictures are sharp, and then I see what you do with that phase one. I'm like, oh, that's sharp. No, it looks no, yeah, they look good, but like any tool, there's constraints within this. Try shooting a moving baby or like a you know, anything like that. The autofocus is not, it's not good. Uh And the the DF plus camera, they just announced a new camera, which I'm sure you've seen, but the DF plus camera has always felt super fragile to me. Mm -hmm. I just added, I had the I just had the shutter replaced after only 30,000 frames, which mm-hmm. there's no reason it should break. You know, yeah. it's rated to 100,000. Uh-huh. There's no reason I should be paying $700 for a new shutter <laughs> that they're not going to back yeah. up after, like, two yeah. years. Cameras always break, man. But, yeah, that, it goes, it goes yeah, back to those things where yeah. it's like it's not a precious yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, it breaks, and you get it repaired, yeah. and it's... Or you leave it in a cab, and you just... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> a good thing in that you're using it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, like that's yeah. eventually gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I would be a little upset if I left a phase one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, that might cause a little bit of. Once yeah. I thought I did coming back from a shoot, I was I like know. really like tired, and it was before I had a studio, and it was like midnight, and I took a cab, and I got home, and I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, like yeah. I pulled up the taxi receipt, called the taxi company, did all those I went into the studio the next day that I was. I was borrowing Starface, and of course the camera was there. I didn't take it home because oh, I didn't nice. want it to. I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, you were thinking ahead. You were thinking ahead. So, do you ever take pictures in Minnesota when you go back? Um, I took a lot of cell phone pictures when yeah. I was back. Um, but you know, it's family. It's a lot of family time. Um, going back to the landscapes, a lot of the landscapes I'm drawn to are mountainous regions, mm-hmm. you know, like severe mountains or really, well, I guess just severe landscapes. Mm-hmm. 
you know, extreme open spaces. In Minnesota, you know, it's a lot of rolling prairie or mm. or woods. So I'm not as interested. For my landscapes, I'm really interested in, in like, the long view, mm-hmm. being able to see way far out. Kind of think, like, Frederick Edwin Church paintings mm-hmm. of, like, the Hudson mm-hmm. River Valley. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's kind of a magnificent, you're on a vista looking out at something that's kind of just presented to you mm-hmm. in certain ways. Um. So how do you find that stuff? Where are you, where are you shooting it? Where are you going? Is it northeast, southwest? Or? Uh, a lot of the stuff I've shot has been in Scotland. Oh, really? In England. Oh, wow. And uh, Colorado. I was hoping to get up to the northern Canadian Rockies this mm. summer up in Banff along the Icefields Parkway, which runs through uh, Banff National Park and Jasper National Park. Mm. Uh, two summers ago, I went out to Yellowstone and Grand Teton. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually have a bunch of new work that's not up yet that I've just been kind of sitting on for a while. Um, we're going to Sardinia in Italy in October. Oh, nice. My wife's um, giving a conference, but I have 10 days that I'm going to try to shoot while I'm there and get up to, um, what's this north there, Corsica, oh, okay. which is a much more mountainous mm-hmm. landscape than Sardinia is. Um, so, you know, national parks mm-hmm. or any kind of rugged. Uh, I was just down in the Smoky Mountains. But the Smoky Mountains was really difficult because it's so dense and junk. Like, mm-hmm. unless you're on like the Blue Ridge Parkway or you hike up mm-hmm. some ridge lines, it's very hard to get an open view. But also with the phase camera, you don't want to hike up a bunch of. You know, it's very. <laughs> yeah. It's a very yeah. heavy thing. And yeah. Even with like a good backpack and everything, it's it sucks. So. So you, this is a long-term project, then I take it. You're in no rush to get this one. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's continuous. It doesn't feel anywhere near done. Mm-hmm. What so is the ultimate you think I get to show or a book or both or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like the prints to have a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that means. And and I you know, I have a feeling for what that means. I think maybe a book at some point, but I think it really You want the gallery show. Yeah. yeah you want yeah. The, the big white walls. I mean yeah. the big white walls, yeah. The yeah. gallery show is a but the gallery show is nice, you know, it's a nice ego thing. And if prints sell, that's great. But I mean I'd really like the work to, you know. Li- you know, live in people's spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I had years ago, I interned with Arnold Newman, which was like a really good experience. Wow, yeah. And he was in his late 80s at that point. And we were talking about Andres Gursky. And I really mm-hmm. like Andres Gursky's work and I like his prints. And, and I was always really interested in it. And we were just talking about it. And he, he looks at me and goes, Regardless of money, would you hang that in your living room? Mm. <laughs> and I don't know if I would, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I think it's a yeah. really kind of interesting yeah. way to evaluate work. Uh-huh. And, you know, I also don't know if a photograph should be evaluated as like a decor piece. Right, right, right. But I think what he's getting at is, you know, when you have art or you have work or something that transcends that you want to be a part of your life every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, you, if that's the work that's on your wall, I think that's a really important, you know, what mm-hmm. speaks to your soul or what speaks to to you personally. I think that's... That's a really valuable thing, and I think that's probably a, a successful piece of art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a, a quick five-minute break, and we're going to come back and talk about some books that I think uh, hopefully are uh, inspirational pieces of art for at least you and me and everyone listening. It'll be five minutes for us, but what? not for the people listening. <laughs> There's not going to be a five-minute break in the show. I've been under the impression all this time that we've been <laughs> out for five minutes. <laughs> In 30 seconds. 
sitting there listening. It's been 30 seconds. <laughs> Do you play a musical interludes? <laughs> it's Tom humming. Yeah. LPV. Nice. Well, we are back, and we got a bunch of great books. I mean, these really, I was... I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I mean, we're really like that could be from any show. I know that, but we're getting we're getting really lucky because every time something comes on the show, they keep yeah. bringing good books. So whatever we're doing, Tom is you working. Never know what to expect, and, and it's always something you've never seen. Do you ever get any duplicates? Oh, Whoa, oh the family, the family acid. acid. Yeah, yeah. there's only one so far. Uh, and uh, Toon, uh, Lars Toonbark was not no, it's not the same book. book, but like same photographer. Kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's only in the case. So the first book we have here is Dwayne Michaels, Photo Follies, How Photography Lost Its Virginity on the Way to the Bank. So this is a, a satirical book by Dwayne Michaels, which I guess isn't too unexpected. But why don't you tell us why you brought this book? What do you like about it? Uh, I just think it's a funny comment on contemporary photography. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's such a dick in it. That <laughs> I think it's hilarious. He's busting out all, he, he, he really takes a shot at a lot of the... The tropes. There was what was the one? Where was the Gursky one? Uh, a Gursky gherkin is just a large pickle. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Where did that go? And the Sydney Sherman one. Uh, Sydney Sherman spelled uh, S <laughs> I D N E Y. Yeah. Uh, you got it's, it's like- just Dwayne Michaels in a wig doing Cindy Sherman esque yeah. things, smoking cigarettes. Well, you got to respect Dwayne Michaels. Just Shelving books. He's always just done his own thing. This Waiting been- for Lauren for a car to pick her up. Right. Looking pensive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like this book. It's funny. Yeah, and like the, there's a lot of text in it, too, so it requires, it's not just the pictures, it's the reading and the context, so it's really it's really well done. Yeah. And it I hadn't does, seen it before. I didn't even know this. It was, doesn't take, he doesn't take himself too seriously. And clearly it. doesn't take the fine art photography world too seriously, which is good, <laughs> definitely cool. good. So he was up in um, at the main photo workshop, so that's where I met him and, mm. and bought the book and had him sign it, and he, uh, the beginning of the week, he introduced himself as the late Arnold Newman. <laughs> So when I went to get the book signed, I was like, would you please sign this, the late Arnold Newman? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll do one better. I'll sign it, the late Dwayne Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> and so he got to the late, but I don't know if you know this, but he won't sign his books Dwayne Michaels anymore. He signs them Dr. Duanus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because of the resale and the whole uh, like book is object is sales piece. Uh, so I almost had it signed the late Dwayne Michaels, and he yeah. stopped on the D, and then he did... The late Dr. Duanus <laughs> <laughs> and signed the date. Yeah. But then doesn't that make it more valuable? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like it's more funny. rare. Dr. Duanus, yeah. yeah, it's funny. And I don't know how many of these he printed. I think they were, I know they printed them in Germany with Steidl. Oh, really? He said he printed like a thousand or, oh, or like 2,500. Yeah. It, it may have been a lot more than that. Have but you I checked remember, eBay? Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> looked at eBay at all. You're not thinking about selling it, huh? Uh, I really yeah. like the, uh, it's a it's a boring picture of a boarded up building. It says, "Who is it? William Eggleston, William Christianberry, <laughs> Stephen Shore, Robert Polidori, Doctor Duanus, Joel Meyerowitz." <laughs> <laughs> it's like five of my favorite. <laughs> <It's really laughs> oh man, you can see it too. Yeah, <laughs> stump the collectors who took this photograph. It's very true. 
But it's a beautifully printed book, and it's it's very biting in places. Well, we always talk. We talk about tropes in most episodes. We talk about, mm-hmm. and he's just he's stabbing the tropes yeah. right in the heart, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like. But I don't. Yeah, there's no. If anyone can you, yeah. Do you mind reading one of those, Ralph? Uh, well, I kind of want to read all. Or let me give me a second. So in yeah. the book, there's a a list of I think twenty five, uh, thirty two. Uh, 32 uh, tattletales from the land of photography. <laughs> F-A-U-X-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Um, oh, just choose one. Never trust any photograph so large that it can only fit inside a museum. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Color is the new black and white. Bill Brandt's nudes give me an art on. <laughs> <laughs> one more. This is the era of... <laughs> Photo fast food. Too many Tillmans will give you a heartburn, high cholesterol, and a fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> I like Tillmans, so. Yeah. Uh, to announce the demise of the decisive moment is premature. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Michaels. Mm. Uh, well, I almost feel bad following that up because the, the book we have right after this one is not so humorous. Uh, yeah, so if we... We're jumping, so the next one we have is is one of my favorite contemporary photographers, Trevor Paglin. Mine too. And this is Invisible Covert Operations and Classified Landscapes, and it's an essay by Rebecca Solnit as well too. Yeah. Which we've... Uh, she keeps we, coming up. Yeah, we need to get some commission on pimping her book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but no, she's great. She's a fantastic writer, one of my favorites, and I follow her on Facebook, you know. But Paglin is... I mean, the stuff he's doing is just, like, it's out of this world. You know, it's, like, so relevant to everything that's gone on in the last 10 years, and it's just, you know, I don't... Yeah, how do you how make do you feel pictures of something you can't take pictures yeah, of? Yeah, something you can't take <laughs> yeah. pictures of, and it's kind of like it goes to the root of photography, and it also goes into the root of a lot of the issues we face with, like, secrecy and spying and government and all those sort of things. He's yes. just right in the middle of it. So I, I assume most your listeners are familiar for, with his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those that aren't, he has a PhD in geography, I believe. Yes. He's a professor of geography at mm-hmm. UC Berkeley. He also has a master's in fine arts. And photo is, a lot of his medium is photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I got introduced to it through this book called I Could Tell You But You'd Have to Be Destroyed by Me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the title of it. Mm-hmm. And it's all a collection of top secret patches. And I did I did scouts as a kid, so any book full of patches <laughs> is like a pretty exciting uh, thing to look through. And his whole I guess the first the first famous thing to describe is he's the one that exposed the terror taxis, the CIA rendition flights, using public records to figure out it's strange that, you know, these sixteen Air companies can land at any military base mm-hmm. anywhere in the world when mm-hmm. FedEx and UPS can't. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of the first thing that ticked him off. And then he wrote this book, Blank Spots on the Map, which I think is a perfect description of all his work. And it's, we live in a country with a lot of secrecy. Mm-hmm. And while things can be secret, they're made in real places. So you have these borderlands between classified and non-classified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The perfect analogy being a spy satellite. It's classified, but you can go out in the night sky and see it fly over your head. And so it's, you know, and this is before Snowden. This, I think he started the work mm-hmm. in 03 mm-hmm. or 02. It goes back. Mm-hmm. 
before, but it, it's it's really pertinent to where America as a country mm-hmm. is going. Or mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, to me, I, it always makes me feel. But the thing is, is like I actually like the photos. I oh, mean, yeah, like, no, that's it, the thing. It's like they're, yeah, you get kind of beautiful. Like, they're beautiful. You get hypnotized well. by the photographs. I'm just even as you're talking here, I'm listening in one ear, and I'm kind of looking. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is nice. I like the color on this. I like the lines, you know. And then it's it's kind of another one of those examples where and we were talking with Rachel Sussman as well too, where the text and the context really, you know. With the photos, it's like you need to take them it both in. You the need image, to take yeah. them both in, yeah. I mean, it's like, because if you were just to see these without any of the captions or any of the text, it'd just be kind of like, what am I looking at here, you know? Yeah. But in, in, as soon as you get that those pieces of information, the images become so loaded. And like, that's, it's one of those, it's one of those relationships that it's, it's difficult to figure out, you know? Because how, when I read it, I look at it different. I just do, you know what I mean? And like, there's something going on in your brain with that piece of information. It's like, and I don't know if it would just work if you do any other, like maybe like a family snapshot, you could say like, I guess an additional caption on there or something might do it, but I don't know. Something Aunt Mary this. was a CIA agent that <laughs> yeah, tortured captives and, you know, something like that. Exactly. And there's a, so in the back end of the book, mm. a lot of it is, you know, the section you're looking at now mm-hmm. is passports or ID pictures taken of supposedly CIA operatives. Mm-hmm. And that being, you know, these people might just be your aunt or your brother or your sister. You know, it's not the guy with the crew cut. Yeah. Who looks just out of the military academy. It's any number of people that. And there's over three million people with security clearance in the United States. Oh, really? Three and a half million people. Really? Yeah, it's just like that. It's just. To what? take those abstract concepts that we see, like, we're so removed for, and to try to, like... And this has nothing to do with photography at all. But <laughs> two weeks ago, there was the leak of the uh, Office of Personnel got hacked, and they mm-hmm. took everybody's security clearance mm-hmm. applications. And <laughs> uh, I don't, I haven't seen anybody talking about, like, how significant that is. Yeah. Because there are, like, 100-plus pages where you disclose affairs, drug use, anything that could be used to blackmail you, mm-hmm. including all your family members and everyone you've ever associated with and all addresses. <laughs> like, they got the full take of everybody that has security clearance in the United States, supposedly. Unencrypted. Supposedly. Uh, supposedly. <laughs> Who got it? Who knows? Who knows? Hack- it got hacked? Hacks or wait, how, wait a minute. How am I not aware of this? Exactly. attention? Uh, no, it's a small news article, yeah. but it talks about it, but it doesn't... Wow. Nobody talks about, like, the weight or significance of how yeah. crazy that fact is. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of, yeah. That's that's kind of depressing, Ralph. Jeez. <laughs> what are you trying to do to us here? No, but, I mean, it speaks yeah. to... Yeah, it speaks to... I mean, I think we got to... I mean, we're really going to bounce around here from yeah. depressing, funny, depressing, but now but, we got to go back to to something that I think... Sci-fi. Sci-fi. And more importantly, maybe... I don't know more importantly, but... Star Wars. <laughs> we get, where, where fascism is yeah, fiction. Yeah. Right. We get Star Wars on to the LPV show. And this book. Well, yeah, we go from flying satellites. <laughs> to, uh, yeah. So this is the, the, what's, so the book is Industrial Light and Magic, The Art of Special Effects. And it's not, again, it's not strictly a photo book, but we don't, like, we don't care about that. It's like f- the photographs, how they're used in this book is remarkable. Yeah, it's and illustrative I, of yeah. the... But even as I was paging through this and we were looking at it before, I was just like, 
there's some incredible just photographs in here. Like beyond anything else, it's like how you can't, you know, you would not see those kind of behind the scenes photos. It, it kind of like ties into the access you need for certain types of photos. Well, you know? I think what's really strange about it too, like especially the age of everything CGI in mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm so familiar with those movies and all the 80 classics to actually see them in physical space with people manipulating the models around right. it on like some back set is really fun. Yeah. To think, oh, it's somebody's job to paint this for a month yeah. to make it look awesome. Yeah. Kind of changes your whole perception of it too cuz now whenever you look at that, you'll you'll have that reference point in your mind of like where it was actually made. Well, it feels I'm a little hesitant. I feel with you too because it's it's I kind of my first instinct is like you're building a real world, you're building these fantasy worlds, but my my hesitancy to go down that path is, is like it gets into the digital dualism that that real life is or like that the digital realm is not as real as like the physical world. And like that gets me a little uneasy because a lot of the stuff we do in digital, like I feel like the communication is real. If I'm talking to you through Twitter or through email, I like to me that's still real. It's not like a, a lesser type of communication. Gotta print your tweets. Gotta print your tweets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna mail you my I'm gonna mail you my twelve tweets. Yeah. Exactly. But so I, I kinda hesitancy to kinda say that. But on the other hand too, it's like, yeah. I mean this is just friggin' cool where you're actually creating the worlds and you're building them up, you're doing all that stuff. And it's like It's just like such I mean Digital artists are craftspeople too, but right. it's nice to see right. all the behind the scenes all pieces. The scenes. Whatever, man. If we call it nostalgia, whatever it is, it's cool. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's just, but it's also if all the work that they did here laid the groundwork for what you see and did, you know, did, like this is, this yeah. is like the innovative kind of like oh, special yeah, yeah, effects. Yeah. I mean, this kind yeah. of. Brings it into like the, the most reality. exciting yeah. thing at the time that never existed yeah. before. And I'm sure at the time they're like, oh, these special effects, what the hell? Like, <laughs> well, there's a reason George Lucas is worth how many billions of dollars these days? Who even knows at this point, you know? But uh, yeah, then he, he sold a lot of it to Disney. We sold all Disney, yeah, because yeah, the yeah. new wins, the new Star Wars comes out in 2015, no, 2016. No, it's uh, not this winter, is it? At some point. I mean, I, I'm a fan of the films. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but like, I, I, what? How do you feel about them? Like, keep going on. Like, it's just. Gonna be like, uh, I've got a lot of feelings about J.J. Abrams after yeah. the way he treated Star Trek. Oh yeah, because Tom's a Star Trek guy. Yeah, this know. isn't a sci-fi podcast. Well, why not? Are you kidding me? We, t- we were talking about Dark Matter with Andrew Hetherington and like Deep Space with Rachel Sussman. Why can't we talk about sci-fi? Uh, it's okay. It's Whatever. A, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but yeah. <laughs> yeah um, Star Trek movies were fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, this seems like a would be an awesome job, though, man. Yeah. So what? How, how long have you had this book? How did you get it? Where did uh, you get it I got it at a used bookstore last fall. Oh, really? Yeah, and there's oh, nice. even a uh, plate of stamps in the back of Star what? Wars <laughs> that somebody tucked in for safekeeping. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> awesome. So, and it has all the... Whatever that is, 97 or... Oh, yeah, there you go. Wow. C-3PO. So it was a fun book. I was initially drawn to the the behind-the-scenes, like, studio shots. Yeah. Because it's such a neat... I want to see other people's tricks whenever whenever possible. Yeah. But you don't like to reveal them. You don't like to reveal them. No, no, no. (laughs) The world of magic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just sprinkle on the special sauce and make it look perfect. 
Enemy, enemy mine. It's like it's. I love looking through these. You remember some of these movies? And you're like, those movies were horrible, right? You know, like. <laughs> I mean, George Lucas doesn't have a great. They're all better today, aren't they? No, I don't think they are. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Back to the Future is a great movie. Goonies? How could you ever get well, the Goonies? Well, the Goonies, yeah. yeah. The, the problem with the Goonies is that I had it on VHS when I was a kid, and we, like, I swear to God, I've seen that movie 30 times. In full screen. Well, I don't know about full screen. No, it's just VHS. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's square. It was yeah. widescreen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, because we had HBO or whatever, so we would tape and record these things. So Starman. So, like, you ever watch one of those really old movies that you saw as a kid, and you're kind of, I'm going to go back and watch it, and you start watching, it's like, ugh, I have this movie memorized. This is so <laughs> boring, you know? Like, you think there'd be some new excitement to it, but there's not, you know? It's like, just watch something new. Except for Indiana Jones. Have a kid, man, and then just wait to show them the movies. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, there you go. So what time do you, what are you going to introduce your kid to in terms of sci-fi? What's going to be your go-to? Uh, all of all of the things, probably. All of it? I don't know when. You know, you don't want to yeah. s- scare anybody. It's like <laughs> it's at least ten years off. But you yeah. know, yeah. yeah. All the '80s classics. How could yeah. you not? I'm sure by that point they'll be like, I just want to be on the internet and not my phone. Like, yeah. why, why are we watching a television? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. We this isn't in 3D. Me. This doesn't just project. What the hell? Why isn't it at 56 frames per second? Yeah. <laughs> well, they so probably slow. will be. Yeah. yeah. They probably will be that savvy. It's terrifying. Or maybe it'll all be like VR. It'll just all be virtual reality. Who knows? This is, this is so boring. It's so flat. Yeah. yeah. So the next book you have is John Fall, Altered Landscapes. Now, this is, oddly, this is one of the guys, the stuff that I would see come across Tumblr a lot. Hmm. Oh, that is really weird. So they, to come and see the book and learn a little bit more about it and see it, and it's very, I mean, again, this feels like, so from 1980, but it still feels very contemporary. At least it feels like there's a lot of people kind of like, Oh, yeah. Even this kind of style, you know. What is it? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, but these are like, so he's integrated. I, yeah, all these where he's putting like the lines with, is that thread? What's he doing? How is he doing that? Yeah, thread and tape, thread geometry. And tape, yeah. So it's forced perspective for those that aren't familiar. It's from the camera angle. You have ice cream cone shapes or straight lines or triangles or squares. So that from the viewing of the photograph, it looks perfect. But, you know, if you think about building it in 3D space, it it's hard to describe without seeing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, this must be really hard to do. It's, it's, a, it it's like a visual, visual puns is how yeah. I would describe it. Because a lot of them are very funny. Yeah. If, oh, yeah. if you're savvy about viewing a photograph. Yeah. Like the one you're looking at now the is bagel pile. Yeah. probably 30 bagels in a geometric yeah. shape on the bottom in front of a pile of grain or something that's covered in tires way in the distance, but they're the same. You people from Minnesota say bagel funny. Bagel? Bagel. Bagel. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Boiled bread. I'm going to go out my boat, man. But when it gets worse when I go back home. I mean, within like two hours... It's like, what am I, how am I talking? I don't know how I'm talking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not, my mom has a heavy accent. I, my dad has a little less. I suppose, like, when you're listening to your relatives. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, it I'm comes out to, more. Yeah. And also, be, you know, being away and coming back. I was just in Minnesota for the weekend introducing Leo to the family. Oh, so. nice. 
Nice. It's fresh on the mind. So he's not going to have the accent, though. He's not going to be graced with it. Huh? I don't know what he's going to be graced with. <laughs> Some kind of amalgam. Of yeah. yeah. I always got New the... New York, Buffalo, Buffalo Minnesota. Right? Yeah. yeah. I always get the... Are you from Canada? And it's like, no. I got that a lot as a kid, yeah. I've never even been <laughs> Especially to Especially, uh, you know, when you come out of East yeah. here. I've never even been to Canada. I had an old guy get really, really mad at yeah. me for calling it pop instead of soda in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was disparaging his age. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm from Minnesota. I've never been to Canada. That's I funny. I don't know. I never made it up to Winnipeg. Canada's pretty far. <laughs> from, from both Minnesota, you're talking about from, going to Bam. Twin C- well, yeah, flying, yes, but the mental space of living yeah. in the Twin Cities. Yeah, I have to drive six hours to get to the middle of nowhere, Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Though. And go Northern to, Minnesota is like go, I've always been fascinated by Northern Minnesota. Like if I was yeah. going to go back to Minnesota, go to the and Boundary do Waters, go to like, oh, just like all of that hibbing. But then when I saw Fargo, did you see Fargo the TV show? I have not watched the TV show. So the Fargo the TV show kind of hits that weirdness of Northern Minnesota. It's it's pretty. I mean, obviously, it's pretty violent, a little extreme, but like they kind of hit this weird vibe of what's going on up there because it's weird. Oh yeah, I have a <laughs> a, a friend uh, here in New York has a bunch of family back in northern Minnesota, and he he had the story of going back and like one of his cousins is a uh, airline pilot. And he has this strip club called the Cockpit in his garage. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not really a strip club, but there's like a stripper pole and a a bar. Everybody, a lot of people have bars in their houses. So when the bar closes at whatever, midnight, Mm -hmm. two, everybody's just going over to the cockpit (laughs) to continue partying all all night long. And they drive their snowmobiles. <laughs> but yeah. the snowmobiles, I, I remember they appear like, oh, yeah, it's like they just drive their snowmobiles and park them up in front of the bar, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Totally, that's what you do. It's efficient. Go, go ice fishing. Like, yeah. I could never do the ice fishing. I couldn't do it. I mean, I'm just too terrified. Out on, like, Malax Lake, mm-hmm. it's like they set up, and they set up fancy-ass, like, like fishing huts, you know, like ice fishing. It's Why like, are you t- just terrified of falling in? Yeah, I mean it's not safe. Standing on a lake. That, standing on a lake. Yeah. Does that happen a lot up there? I don't know. It happens. It could happen. It yeah, happens. It happen. huh. People drive drive over the lake and they fall. Oh yeah, people drive trucks. Sure. It's yeah. it's fine. The, the, there's a, a couple of years ago. It must be four years ago. There was a motocross or snow snowmobile cross or something. And something like 50 tractor trailers fell through the ice what? in one go. Like <laughs> parked, wow. but. When it's zero degrees for a couple months, you end up with three and four foot thick ice. Right. So it's yeah. fairly yeah. safe. But yeah. come spring, you know, people are trying to get their last minute ice fishing uh, on and don't get it off soon enough or you drive out and you fall through. The most dangerous kind of ice fishing. Yeah, any number. Yeah. Any number. Of I mean, but it's not even really about ice fishing. It's just they set up the, you know. It's your lake bar. It's your lake bar. <laughs> exactly. You bring a cooler of beer and like they watch TV and then yeah, like, you watch some uh, Minnesota yeah. Gophers uh, basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You drink some beers. Yeah. You maybe catch a fish. Yeah. Play the radio. It's like it's like smoke the, a cigar or something. It's, it's like, like the yeah. It's like the Minnesota version. Live of in the dream. <laughs> the man <laughs> cave. Yeah, ignoring yeah. your wife and kids for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I never. Yeah. I, I should have. I couldn't get in. My uncles were all. They're all about that, the hunting and the fishing and all stuff. I never, I was never bitten with that bug for some reason, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I grew up fishing some, not a lot. Didn't go hunting. Went shooting. Yeah. But. Because you're a city's boy. 
Yeah. Yeah. So in the, the last book we have, The Nature of Photographs by Stephen Shore. It's kind of a big topic, but you said it. this is basically him summarizing his... A lot of people have described it as Stephen Shore's grad course at Bard mm-hmm. um, condensed into a book. I don't know how true that is, and I don't know much about his class, but I've heard people describe it that way. Short book, maybe 150, 200 pages. Each page is a photograph and about a paragraph of text describing the nature of photographs. It illustrates his points. And it really did kind of shape the way I think about images. Mm. Both how about it? how images function on, you know, looking through an image versus like the flat plane mm-hmm. and and the movement and shapes and and just the vo- – it's a good way to think about the vocabulary of photography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he takes a wide range of images to talk about yeah, the absolutely. different, you know, standards or sentence structure if you want to break down a literary approach to images. It's a, yeah, I mean, the one thing I'm kind of curious about is it's all, I mean, it is very focused on, you know, the single photograph, whereas, the, you know, we're talking about photo books, which is photo books is oftentimes the sequencing and the collection and these sort of things. So one interesting thing I was kind of, even um, the John Fall, I mean, the, all of those are, you know, you, conceptually they're kind of like the same, but like one photo, it's like you get that one photo. It's not dependent on the one before it or the one after it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of something. It'd be interesting to see somebody do something similar about sequences or the way like you lay out photos on a spread or two pages. Or maybe it kind of gets into mm-hmm. the Richard Prince. Well, it does It does progress through the, you know, mm-hmm. he uses the sequencing to, as an educational Moving through the thematic yeah. breakdowns as, as he saw fit. Right, right, right. Yeah, you can't mess with Shore. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. Have you? I follow him on Instagram. Do you follow him on Instagram? I do. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like he's everyone. You know, he's like everyone else. He takes the same pictures as everyone else. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of the point. I mean, that's why you use Instagram. But you're using are you you're using Instagram these days, right? Uh, yeah, I, I did start. I like it. It's where can we find you? Uh, I would be at Ralph Smith Photo. R A L P H S M I T H P H O T O. Ralph Smith Photo. <laughs> and we'll put it into the blog post as well, too. So you can just click on the link. I now, do like it, though. It's the first. I, I mean, I can't speak for other people, but I'm much more comfortable communicating through photographs mm-hmm. than through text. And I, I like it as a way to just be put stuff up and I, I use it more as a day in the life mm-hmm. I don't really put I mean I'll put tears in magazine mm-hmm. publishing things and then it'll be like a bunch of pictures of my baby yeah, doing yeah, baby yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, you know all it's the funny the like I for like the last I don't know maybe it was a year I was doing all like I would choose to do a specific project I'd go through that project delete everything would be the next project and like very tightly edited stuff and like trying to do something different and the other night I was like got through this like kind of peripheral project that I'm working on. I was like, I'm a little like lukewarm on it. And I got to a point. It's like, what am I, why am I, what am I doing here? Like maybe I should just go back to just posting photos. Maybe thinking about it way too much. So I ended up deleting everything. Now I think I'm going to go back to the diaristic kind of stuff and just like, 
just post photos. But I was also talking to like my friends. We share Tumblr, and we kind of have this feeling that Tumblr is on its way out. And it's like I think it is. I get like, that feeling. And it's like, well, what's next? And we're like Google Photos, Flickr. No, and I'm like, I think the game is just over. I think it's Instagram. I think like that's where everyone is. Like that's what they're gonna look at. And like people yeah. have, always have their phone on them. Yeah. When you're curious, you pull it out. You look through it. Oh, I like that. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and it's you? just it's fast and easy, <laughs> but it's also it's also Instagram. Like if you go, they redid the the web the website as well too. So when you see your photos on there, the photos are bigger. So they're gonna get to a point where it's like, okay, you can create collections for your you know certain types of photos, and it's just gonna be an all encompassing. Like network. I mean, I think like the game is over, really. You know? Well, yeah, I'm, and the conspiracy yeah. side is if they ever decide to just become a stock sales yeah. agency and just grab everything. No, Cha-ching. that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Like they yeah. wouldn't. Like you can't. You would alienate so many people. And like the, the you know, you would hear that forever about Facebook. But the problem is Facebook, like they receive such like vicious like backlash early on and all of that stuff. Where like they realize it's a it's a PR disaster for them, so they can't. They can't deal with that. So I don't, I think the, the odds that, and who wants to go into the stock business anyways? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they have other ways to generate revenue. They can charge a brand $50,000 to be seen by X amount of people. I mean, it's more lucrative. Yeah. But the first New York City tech billionaire mm-hmm. was the guy that owns uh, Shutterstock. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Sell a million things for a penny. <laughs> yeah. Sell a hundred billion things for a penny. You know, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the guys who own Instagram are certainly not hurting. Yeah, they're doing. There's Mark Zuckerberg. They're doing a okay. But yeah, how much? So you, I mean, it kind of uh, to wrap it up. It's like you, a lot of your work shows up in magazines, and that's your ideal. Ideal avenue, and like you want to see your photos uh, printed on the big walls. Where does you know? Well, how does the the internet or you like sharing that stuff kind of like work into your your workflow or what you're doing? Do you see it as purely for marketing or is it? Um, partially is marketing, but mm-hmm. more just staying in touch with people. Mm-hmm. Cause, mm-hmm. You know, it's ubiquitous. A lot yeah. of everybody uses it. Yeah, and it's kind of a nice way to just be like, "This is what I'm doing. This is how you stay in touch." So there's not a lot of pressure on it. No, it's it, natural and. But it also goes back to the landscape's work in certain regards, which I didn't talk about. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so much of, of still life is working in a set aesthetic or you're solving other people's problems. Mm-hmm. That it's nice to use photography that doesn't, ha- you know, I want to show you this cool picture that I took or show you these cool things I'm doing or make a weird, crazy landscape because the language of landscape is mm-hmm. easy to, you know, you can go as zany as you want, and it's not wrong. It's not. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't any number of these things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's still like the Instagram is just kind of keep tabs and keep doing stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. keep being like, this is weird. Yeah. This is delicious. Yeah. This is tasty. <laughs> like you know, it's it's all those tropes that like play out. Absolutely. Well, Ralph, thank you so much. Yes, thank thank you. you, and thank you for bringing these awesome books and giving us a kind of insight into uh, the still life and editorial world. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, man. I feel like we could talk about Minnesota for forever, but uh, uh, part three uh, <laughs> part for those that want to listen yeah, 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 uh, behind yeah, the yeah, scenes, yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah you next guys time. get your bagels. Yeah, we'll get your bagels. All right. <laughs> next time, I gotta get up on the roof first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, thanks, everybody. Ralph. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining us. 
You can go behind the scenes of this episode, see the work of our guests, and the photos we discussed by visiting our Tumblr and lpvshow.com. The LPV Show is executive produced by Brian Formals and co-produced by Tom Starkweather and Eddie Volante. Our score is by Tom Starkweather, who also mixes the show. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>